What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent podcast for queer women of color. I am Money, the tired TA. Mm-hmm. Well, you do be working. You be teaching yeah. all the babies up at that schoolhouse. I try. They don't want to learn. Well, you know, <laughs> that's what happens. Uh, I was about to say trashies or bougie students at SU, but I'm not <laughs> going to do it. But I already did it. Anyway, I'm Nikita, and I am your friendly neighborhood swimmer. Just backstroking in Lizzo's bathwater. Oh, backstroking, mm-hmm. not the breaststroke. <laughs> oh, uh, that would have been a little too lewd and on the nose for my life. Nikki, that's still pretty lewd. Anyway, um, yeah, but have you heard the new song? No, I have not. Oh my gosh, we gotta. You have to listen to it. I'm Be- just like obsessed with Lizzo. Missy Elliott is on. I know. I'm so proud of you for being in 2019. This is probably a TMI, but. Me and the boo, we have a list of celebrities who we would open up, who would be a third. Your relationship? <laughs> Lizzo was at the top of that list. <laughs> Just in case you're listening, Lizzo. <laughs> Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your glow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light. I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you to jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sis, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You're amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration, and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love, you love. All right, Nikita, you want to tell folks where they can listen to us? Yes, people can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and wherever else they decide to listen to podcasts. Yes, I recently discovered myself that we're on CastBox. I don't even know what CastBox is. It's an app for like Apple users, I think. Oh, that sounds really mm-hmm. interesting. Well, if you're listening to podcasts on CastBox, listen to Queer Walk there. Yes. And where can they find us in these uh, internet streets? You can find us on the Instagram at Queer Walk Pod. This is our same handle on Twitter. But I'll repeat it again. At Queer Walk Pod. And maybe you're old school and you're on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us there. Queer Walk Colon, the podcast. Maybe, Osborne, is Tumblr out of date now since there's no porn on there? Uh, I actually have not logged in since. So, um, but we still, nevertheless, we're still on Tumblr. And you can find <laughs> us there, queerwalk.com. Yes. And lest we forget my personal favorite, maybe you want to send us, you know, a letter. Old school style. Well, you know, old school in terms of 21st century. You can shoot us an email. And what is our email? It is QueerRockPod at gmail.com. Money, Mm -hmm. you and I are the co-hosts of this show, but we don't do this show without a community. So how can people contribute to this here QueerRock community? Right. Y'all keep the program going. We are just merely here to facilitate it. Um, so you can do that in one of two ways. The first way is by giving us your money. 
Um, you can do that by one, uh, becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D. Um, and this becoming a patron just means that you commit to giving us a few of your dollars um, every month. So like for the price of a coffee, you get two bomb ass episodes of Queer Walk per month. You can also hit us off if you don't want to do um, like an obligation type monthly subscription thing. You can hit us off on the Cash App for your one-time donations, which is dollar sign queer walk pod, P-O-D. The second way you can contribute to this here program is by loving us out loud. Ooh. You know, <laughs> I was trying to think of like like plays on being out. Yeah. You know, and it's like part of being out is also like loving in public, you know? Yeah. And so love us in public. Uh, post us on your stories. Tag us on Twitter. Use the hashtag QueerWOC. Do all the R's. Rate, review, request, repost, retweet, reply. Tell your friends about us. Refer a friend to us. Um, show a friend how to... You know there's like that old dyke that you aspire to be one day that may not even know what a podcast is. Tell her about us. Put her on. Show them how to use a podcast app. All of those are ways that you can contribute and help us keep going. This is also the 50th anniversary year of Stonewall. If you would like to have us flued out or trund out to your <laughs> to your Stonewall festivities or pride events, hit us up at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. And we are so excited to be at all the things. All the things. Everything. Yes. We also still got t-shirts for the low. So if, you, if y'all trying to get t-shirts <laughs> in time for the summer, you know, I see the sun peeking through. If it's peeking out here in Syracuse, I know it's poking out in other places. Right. So. It's just out and about. <laughs> you got to venture around town elsewhere. That's right. T-shirts are $20. Mm-hmm. And if you're a patron, then you don't have to worry about shipping and handling. But if you're not yet a patron, shipping and handling is an extra four ninety nine. That's right. And you can order one by telling us which design you want. We have the Mental Moment with Money and the Gimme a Glucose Guardian in black and Queer Walk yellow. Uh, you can shoot us an email to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. We're all out of smalls, but we got you on all the rest of the sizes in both designs. And send us your address for shipping and go ahead and hit us off with that payment at QueerWalkPod on Cash App. All right, Nikita, you're going to move us along into the Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk of the week. week. All right. So it's so funny that I was shading old folks being on Facebook when I found out about this Queer Walk of the Week from Facebook. <laughs> so the well, Queer you're Walk. indeed old. Well, yeah, you're right. So Queer Walk of the Week for this week is Amy Suyoshi. And so. I found out about, I don't, I don't know how I got into this uh, wormhole, as you would say, or rabbit hole, but there's an organization, and it's, so the acronym is very cute. It's, it's pronounced APQTC, and so it's A-P-I-Q-W-T-C, which stands mm-hmm. for Asian Pacific Islander Queer Women and Transgender Community. Oh, wow. And so apparently they're having a banquet. It's already passed, but they had a banquet a few, uh, just a few days ago where they give out um, different kinds of awards. Mm-hmm. So they have a Phoenix Award, and the Phoenix Award honors um, an API queer 
woman or a transgender person uh, that have made outstanding contributions of historical significance okay. to the Asian Pacific Islander queer women and transgender communities. This is amazing. So this year, um, the honoree was Amy Siyoshi. So who was Amy? So Amy is a historian and an activist, and um, she's also the associate dean of the College of Ethnic Studies at San Francisco State University. Come on, Dean! And so I found, because um, I saw, they they have like a little bio of her on, you know, the APQC website, but I just wanted to find, I was trying to look for other stuff about her. Mm-hmm. And there is this clip, I'll post it in the show notes, but there is a clip where she talked about how her mom instilled in her at a very young age, um, like a strong sense of pride um, in her like Japanese American identity. And so, you know, again, she's a historian and an activist. And so one of the things that she said in that video was like one of her first forms of like taking action around um, like justice. It was like, she said it was like, you know, kind of like a small thing, but she was like, 10 years old and she wrote this essay is for some competition or something. And so she wrote this essay about like her identity mm-hmm. and about um, justice. And so she was also saying that when in this essay as a 10 year old, she was talking about how the U S government was bad because it incarcerated people because they were different. Aww. Right. <laughs> and I was, you know, so I mean, at 10 years old, yeah. Amy was already on some, <laughs> some top notch shit. Um, and so the video in which she was talking about that, um, it, it was she, along with um, like five or six other people um, in 2000, I think 2017 was one of the grand marshals of the 47th annual San Francisco Lesbian and Gay Bisexual Transgender Pride Celebration. That's where I recognized her name from. Yeah. yeah. So it was like some video around mm-hmm. that where she was like talking about. Like, and grand marshal is the person that leads the that pride leads parade. That leads the parade. Yeah. yeah. And so um, something else is that sh- this is amazing. So Amy is a co-founder and um, the co-curator of the GLBT History Museum. And it's the first queer history muse- museum in the U.S. And so she also continues to what? volunteer. And so I looked it up and, like, there's another queer museum in um, Berlin. Mm-hmm. And as, as far as I saw, that those were, like, the only two that existed. So she, again, co-founded uh, the first queer history museum in the U.S. I mean, that's... That's fucking phenomenal. It's in California? Yes, it's in San Uh, Francisco. I gotta get out there. And so, um, since 2010, um, Amy has curated uh, all number of different exhibits, uh, five on queers of color, and two specifically focused on Asians and Pacific Islanders. And this is, oh my, I think that you're really going to appreciate this. So one of the things that Amy also did is she created this dragon fruit project. And so get this. It's an intergenerational oral mm-hmm. history project that, listen, this is right up your alley. Oh, it explores queer, Asian, and Pacific Islanders and their experiences oh. with love and activism oh, my in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's my heart. That's so, my dissertation. And so I was about to say, if this is your first time listening to Queer Walk, the podcast, uh, then you may not know that one of the things that Money is working on in her dissertation is on, what is it, Black Queer Women's... Queer Women of Color. Queer Women of yeah. Color's, uh, their relationships, their, you know, their experiences of love and how it's related to their um, organizing and activism. Yeah. So that just made me smile so oh much uh, when I read that. And here's a quote um, you about... You know, I'm about to be typing real fast to reach 
out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm surprised y'all don't hear the, the click clacking of the keys right now. <laughs> and so this is what Amy said about the uh, the Dragon Fruit Project. Again, the oral, the intergenerational oral history project. So she says, when community members engage with this work as interviewers, transcribers, catalogers, and archivists, we are actively resisting the systems that have isolated us from each other and keep us out of mainstream, present-day, and historical narratives. So true. Not only are we active agents archiving our individual histories, we are also piecing together organizational, community, and movement histories that will contextualize our collective narrative. When we document our history, we're also laying the groundwork for future work. Yes. So. Wow. Yeah. I just thought that that was amazing. We talked about this, you know, with Alexis Pauline Gunn. Yeah. Just, and I think even, like, the way we think about and talk about, like, the podcast, like, it's in that tradition, tradition of, like. of oral history. Of, like, yeah. um, of oral histories and, like, documenting, like, yes. you know, queer people of color's, like, history. So. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I saw, you know, that they were having this award ceremony and then I looked her up and I was just like wow. oh my god like both of us are total so like history nerds yeah. and like history buffs and understand the importance of like documenting our stories so mm-hmm. I just think that all the work that she's doing is really phenomenal and amazing so we just wanted to give you know some love and s- some light and support to Amy yes and shout out Thank to you. AP Cutie, you know, for, for doing the work that they do and for highlighting the work that Amy's doing. And for a dope-ass acronym. Yeah, you know? isn't that cute? <laughs> yes. But um, is, where, where is the award ceremony? Is that in California, too? I think, yeah, I think it's in San Francisco. Oh, is I mean, aren't they always? Right. One year, I want to make it to that. It's, it sounds like an amazing event. And if I'm not mistaken, I think she's also... Um, the, the co-founder of the group. Oh, okay. So she just do everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just sitting on all the boards. Right. <laughs> all right. So shout out to Amy Siyoshi. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move it along to our next segment uh, called Community Contributors. <laughs> Why are you signing all newscaster right now? Are you ready for the jingle? Yeah. Oh, we need them dollars. I said I like it like that. Become a patron tomorrow. I said I like it like that. Get a shout out on Queer Walk. I said I like it like that. Community, yeah, it been hot. I said I like it like that. Hey, okay. So, oh my gosh, you and these horns. I just, it just, it's like my favorite part of the song. I can't help it. So, the community contributor segment is just the segment where we highlight and uplift y'all for helping this program keep on coming um so you want to start us off nikita yes first off thank you so much to not sammy but dr sammy oh oh okay (laughs) uh, for breaking us off a little donation in the cash app we really appreciate that yes thank you so much we got three new patrons who are they yes so nick Thank you, Nick, for becoming a patron. Who? Nope, Nick. I'm positive that this is the Nikita. Oh, so shout yeah. out to Nikita, the other Nikita. Yeah, you know. <laughs> there was a moment happening on Twitter. I feel yeah. like the Nikitas of the world were felt very loved on. Yeah, we were uniting. So and you, you know what's also funny about that is all of the variations of the spelling of Nikita. Yep. And so <laughs> it's just like every Nikita, no matter how many E's or I's. Or why? <laughs> Who knows? I'm open. I don't discriminate. Um, all right. So, Steph, 
We're going to shout out Steph. Thank you, um, Steph. <laughs> for becoming a new patron. And last but not least, you know, someone I love who y'all should make sure y'all check out her podcast as well. Um, a little Juju podcast. Juju! Shout out to Juju. Thank you so yes. much. Oh, thank you so much, Juju. <sighs> With your witchy cute ass. Oh, I didn't know if I was going to... I was literally... I was literally about to say the same thing. I don't know if that was going to be appropriate or not. I was like, with your old cute old witchy fine ass. Yeah. Definitely, definitely feel so, like, loved and encouraged by her. Um, and I'm just glad we're in podcast community Podcast with community, one absolutely. Yeah. So, we also want to shout out to one of our community contributors from across the pond in the UK. Is that is that what it is, across the pond? Yeah. Okay. Across the Atlantic? <laughs> Since you want to get technical and shit I with your old scientific ass? I, no. And technically, it's actually an entirely too large body of a water to be considered. God damn it. I just did. It's a turn of phrase, god I damn was, it. I was clarifying. You weren't clarifying any goddamn thing. Anyway, uh, shout out to Nairi from the UK. Yeah. Uh, Nairi said uh, that she listens in the UK and she listens with her wife and she sent us adorable, an adorable photo of her and her wife. So. Cute. Bless, bless that old happy queer matron. Right. <laughs> All the way over there, across no the waters, you know. <laughs> we won't get specific about what kind of body of water, but nonetheless. <laughs> and last but not least, we want to give a shout out to the entire state. Uh, well, not everybody in it, just the queer walk and queer walk community folk who have been supporting and listening. In Massachusetts! I don't know. I just looked at the stats. I don't know what is going on. I feel like there's a takeover. Yeah. Is um maybe you know how every every few years a new city becomes the it spot that everybody moves to? Maybe Massachusetts is, is like affordable. State? Yeah. It's Middle East Coast, you know, it's still like you can still get accessible to all the, other, to all the things. Yeah. yeah. Don't they have beaches? Parts of Massachusetts touches water. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's the place to be and we just missing out. I don't know, but like like five to seven of our top cities are coming out of Massachusetts uh, these yeah. days. So. Or maybe it's just because I'm a bad bitch and I f- uh, fluttered my ass through there at the Lesbians of Color Symposium. I think that you're absolutely right. I was thinking that. So, thank you, Massachusetts. Yeah. All the cities. Well, just the cities where people are living. <laughs> okay. The other cities weren't shooting with us when we was in the gym. Let me, let me All right, moving on to the next segment. Segment number four. No, I'm kidding. And now. No, I'm leaving that in. No, you're so, not. Yes, I am. So mm-hmm. people can see how you do me when we're off mic. <laughs> That's not true. Moving on to my personal favorite segment sorry i'm building up anticipation i'm gonna take that out (laughs) the mental moment with money thank you nikita what yeah i just don't like the way you saying my name like that thank you nikita Nikita. saying it like a white man like who's about to discipline me um are you nikita (laughs) thank you nikita Come Nick on, talk? stop! Thanks. Don't be racist now. You about to butcher my black ass? <laughs> All right, Montana Q. You see that? 
You don't nobody want to play them kind of games. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Move. What is this? Don't have nothing to do with the mental moment with money. That girl. In the this don't have girl. nothing to do with the mental moment with money. So. This week's mental moment. Um, so I I feel like this this week's mental moment is gonna be a little more of a backtrack, and actually I'm kind of riffing off a Nikita segment because I want to define a term. Um, so I have recognized that I started doing work on like what to do uh, if you're triggered and like anxiety things and like the anxiety countdown is one of my favorite uh, techniques for doing all this stuff. But I never really talked about triggered. And what triggered means and uh, how to tell if you're triggered. So I wanted to like back up and do that. What are triggers? I feel like we hear the word a lot and we hear like trigger warnings and stuff like that, which I'm trying not to be fucked up about this, but I, I always roll my eyes slightly because I'm always like, oh, people need to, you know, be working through that. Like it's not like the avoidance isn't treating. Mm. Um, but I feel like I'm also saying that as a like therapizing ass bitch who like does this stuff. So a trigger can be anything. It could be a person, a word, <laughs> a place, and a, a situation, um, an environmental condition like bad thunderstorms or anything um, that provoke an intense and excessive emotional reaction within you. So the the key point to understanding that you are triggered versus just like responding to an event it's is kind of that, like a visceral reaction right, to something. It's the scale of your reaction mm. to it. Like would another person that doesn't have your like history with that thing respond in the in same, same way? way. Right. Okay. Um, and honestly, that's a lot of the way we think about mental health in general is like how much is it like impacting and impeding our like life functioning, right? So, like, if if this wasn't there, would we be all right, you okay. know? And how much are we not all right because this thing is there? So, um, a lot of emotions that we tend to experience when we are triggered, um, I think people, like, are really pretty aware of this is, like, intense fear, sadness, rage, anger. Pretty much, like I said, anything can trigger us. It honestly depends on your experiences, beliefs, values, and life experiences, um, as to what are your triggers. Now, identifying your triggers is going to be a different mental moment because, like, it would just be a lot to, yeah, to yeah. tell you what a trigger is and then talk about how to identify them. I'm just talking today about, like, how to recognize when you are triggered. Okay. okay? All right. Why do we get triggered? I feel like I wanted to answer this question. Also, I read this really great article that I'll put a link to that would help us understand, like, am I triggered right now? No, no. I think there's more happening here than just, like, a typical response to something. I think I'm triggered, right? Um, so I'll put that link in the show notes to that article that I was reading. But essentially, it breaks down to two reasons why we get triggered. Um, and the article says three, but y'all know, like I said, in my spare time, I remix this shit and I repurpose it for us. Um, I really think two of those fold into one, Right. So the first reason that, again, I think this is really common now with like the more open discussions on mental health that I think people understand why we get triggered is trauma. So um, just a quick, dirty uh, definition of like trauma, right? Um, so trauma is any like life event that um, would cause you to go into fight, flight or freeze in that moment. Um, and so I think a lot of times when we think about trauma, we think about big events like 
um, a house burning down or you being attacked or something like that. But now, just now, y'all, um, mental health is starting to understand how things like homophobia, racism, these quote unquote microaggressions are also traumatic experiences. Like um, I, I was binge watching TV uh, the other day because I was retwisting my hair. But uh, there was there was like this episode all about microaggressions, right? And about how this young person figured out that like that was a trauma when they got triggered, like sat there and like all of a sudden was throwing up thinking about what happened to them, right? So it doesn't always have to be these big things. Um, I, I really wish that, well, that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> I was about to say, I really wish that we would start talking about trauma differently. Yeah, because like we, we always talk about trauma as like big things. It it. It can be, uh, what's that word, Nikita, for like when things add up over time? Cumulative? Cumulative. Uh, Trauma can also be cumulative and ongoing. And so out of trauma research is where we actually get the word triggered and um, the the terminology of a trigger. Uh, It's a term that traces back to like PTSD research. Um, And so we know about post-traumatic stress disorder is that um, when people are no longer in that traumatic experience... Things that cause them to feel like they are in that traumatic experience or are reliving it are called triggers. Um, So we get triggered when we see, hear, taste, touch, or smell something that reminds us of those previous traumatic experiences. That's why it's so important for us to do things that see, hear, taste, touch, and smell where we currently are. Because it's like, I always say this, it's just like you have to hack your brain, right? Because the way that trauma rewires us is to believe that the current, that past thing is happening currently. And so that's why we have such an intense response, right? And so the way to come out of that is to remind your brain and your body that you are where you currently are, you know? And the census is the easiest way to do that. Okay, the second reason why we get triggered is around... So the first was trauma. The second is around ego preservation. Um, so I'm about to nerd out a little bit and explain what the ego is and then talk about like how this relates to triggers. So the ego is essentially our like inner sense of ourself that allows us to function in society. So it's like where your internal personality meets the outside world. This is all the ways that you think about yourself, right? But the the function of the ego is self-preservation always. Like you first, right? So when something starts to challenge maybe the values you have, uh, tries to poke at the way you remember something happening, your assumptions of the world, your beliefs, um, the like all those ways that you um, see yourself in society, when something starts to challenge that, these things that we call um, like ego protection mechanisms or like self mechan- self-protection mechanisms kick in and that's actually being in a triggered state, right? So so we respond to those parts of ourselves that we hold to be true being um, attacked, through being triggered. So that that might look like attacking somebody back, um, clapping back, you know, uh, sabotaging somebody else, assaulting somebody else. Shoot, I would even go as far as to say, like, people get super violent and, like, would even murder somebody out of, like, an ego preservation space because it's all about keeping your sense of self intact. And if you threaten that, then I'm going to attack you, 
Right. And so that that is the other sense of the other reason why we get triggered. So it's either like this ego preservation where your beliefs, values or where you see yourself is um, challenged or trauma. So the ego preservation, I think I'm confused on how the ego preservation relates to the trauma piece. It, it doesn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's one. It, these are the two reasons why you get triggered. So one can be trauma and the other oh, is ego I, preservation. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if I'm... I hope I'm making that clear. No, that so, I get it. I get it. Yeah. This is like answering the question of why we get triggered. Oh, I got like, it. Like where I do got triggers it. I come got it. from? Okay. Yeah. So the first way is trauma, which I think a lot of folks know. And the second way is ego preservation. Okay. I don't know why, but as I was like writing about this, I kept thinking about um, these students who end up in the classes I teach, which is weird because most mostly I teach uh, diversity classes and like social justice oriented classes. But I always get, I guess, whether it's, like, a requirement for their degree or whatever, I always get these, like, white kids in my class who ain't here for shit that I'm talking about, uh, whether it's related to gender, feminism, race, whatever. Um, And they are obviously sitting there in just, like, a completely checked out state. And a lot of times it bothers me, obviously, because I'm a teacher and I'm like, you literally sitting here in my face on your phone. Um, But then I also, after being mad in that moment, I also think about, like, everything I'm saying right now completely up is a total upfront to how they think about the world and understand themselves and be in the world. Right. Got it. So so the only thing you can do right now is ego preserve. Like, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. This is all, like, bullshit. Yeah. And this is just the university wanting us all to be liberals. Like, you have to go to that space. Because to confront that your dad is a misogynist, (laughs) you know, it's like, that's too much. So it's like, I'm just going to be in this place. Um, Which, if they took a fucking second to not be disrespectful to me, I could talk to them about being triggered and working through that shit. But fuck them. Um, (laughs) Uh, and so before before I end the mental moment, so now we know like what triggers are, why we get triggered. Um, I wanted to talk about how to tell if you're triggered. Mm. Um, I feel like this is just my sense from having been triggered before by myself and also knowing folks that people don't know they were triggered until after they come down out of it, mm. right? It's like this, um, what I'm trying to do is like preventative, right? So how can you tell in the moment that you're triggered? A lot of people experience trembling, like shaking. Shaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been shaking in my chair before. In sessions, in class discussions, you know, your heart starts racing or like yep. palpitating. You get chest pains or you feel like your chest is like tightening or there's any kind of pressure on your chest. And and obviously these are like barring any other uh any other health issues, right? So like if you got asthma, you're probably not triggered. You're probably having an asthma attack. But like if there's no other health issues and you feel like your chest is tightening um or you can't breathe because something just happened, right? Uh, some folks feel dizzy when they're triggered, like very lightheaded, like they about to fall out. Um, your breathing suddenly changes. So either you're holding your breath and you realize like, why the, hell, why the hell am I holding my breath? Or like you start breathing really shallow, really fast, you know, like, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, your the, breathing changes. The way they be doing in them scary movies when they kill yeah, a bunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> you're breathing like that for, for like no apparent reason, right? 
nausea. Like I was talking about the show on Hulu, you know. Some people literally throw up when they're triggered. Wow. Um, Intense fear. You suddenly are like flushed with like panic that you've never felt before. And dissociating. Uh, So I wanted to talk about dissociating from like body and or mind and or mind. So um, dissociating in your body might feel like you're like floating outside of yourself, like you're not in your body or a part of your body might go completely numb. Like you can't feel your legs or like, you know, people have I've read reports of like people can't can't literally can't feel their hands um, because they're just like so overcome with like being triggered because of these like traumatic experiences that they've experienced in the past, especially when people have bodily trauma and get triggered, a lot of times they'll experience dissociation or, like, numbness in that part of their body. Um, And then there's the dissociation of your mind. Like, you just completely check out. Like, somebody says something, and all of a sudden you are thinking about, hmm, I wonder if I cut my stove off that. You know, it's like you're you're just completely not there. And so, yeah, those are just some, some like, ways that you might could tell if you have been triggered. Uh, and yeah, that was my quick and dirty on what is being triggered. Cause we, you know, we use that language a lot. I yeah. know I do. Uh, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. All these, I mean, I, I mean, I guess this, I guess I already know the answer, but it seems on some level, like some of these things, like, I guess when you were talking about the dissociating, like, is that something that on some level you consciously do? Or is it something that like your body just like kind of. Like, it's a mode that your your body or your mind just, like, go into. It can be both. So, this is actually reminded me, uh, when I was in my master's program, I used to nerd out about dissociative identity disorder, um, which is formerly known as uh, multiple personality disorder. So, uh, in studying that disorder, like, we, we kind of get answers to that question, right? So, um, most of the time when people dissociate, it, it comes out of a, a brain mechanism that's just like, this is too much for you to handle in the moment, so you can't be here. So it's, it's literally like your brain takes you somewhere else. So whatever's happening to your body, your brain decides to go left, right? Um, and so that, that is a, a cope, that's a coping mechanism that can become um, like intentional, like you, you experience that see, dissociation. So you're like, oh, I can do this. Like I have the ability okay. to do this. So then you just like trigger it. Like you turn it on. I see. Um, so you're like, okay, this is happening. I'm going to dissociate. But a lot of times it happens. You know what's a really good ex- example of that? Um, that movie Precious. I feel like I you vaguely know? remember Precious. Yeah. It's like um, in that movie, she's like so young when things start happening to her that it's obviously not a conscious decision to dissociate. It's just something that her brain kicked got in it, to do for got her. Got it, got it, But as she got older, she knew that she could use that, right? She could go to this place in her mind to escape whatever was physically happening with okay. her. So it's, it's kind of both, which that's the answer a lot in mental health. It's like, it's both and... It's both in. Let's no. get both in. <laughs> it depends. That's but. helpful. I mean, that's that's the reality, though. Yeah. So that that's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been really helpful. It's like, I think about this all the time. And I feel like I've like, I just, I feel like I'm always like privately, like internally complaining that people just use the term. Oh, me too. Like ubiquitously. Yeah, me too. So I think you spelling out um, like what triggers are and like, mm-hmm. you know. 
why where we they come ex- from. Yeah, where they come mm-hmm. from and why we experience them is like very, very helpful. Yeah. I don't I don't even think I do it internally. I think I do it externally too. Like you ain't triggered. You just feel some kind of way. Right. And that's okay. We could talk right, we right, could do that. Right, you right. know? And it's um it's also hard because it makes me think about like um comfortability. It's like just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you're triggered. Right. And so when we start using words to describe like everything, they don't mean anything. Yeah. That's your whole that's why I said this is kind of biting off you, because that's your whole segment, you know? But um, yeah, it's like I want to be I love this mental health shit. You know, like I've realized that yes, I hate the schooling in order to like do what I want to do, but I actually do love this. Yeah. Um, and so I really I do. I want to work with people. Who are triggered in that moment and like help them come back down, right? right help them right, feel right. back in their body, help them breathe regular again. Um, this is like all psychological first aid shit that I would love to be a part of, like um, a team where people don't have to call 911 when somebody is having a panic attack yeah, or like yeah, something, yeah. you know? So it's like, I wanna do that work, but if, if like, I have to put, like, a trigger warning on a syllabus or, like, say something at the beginning of a class. It's like, that's different than being triggered. You know, it's like, if you don't want to... I've literally... This happened to me when I was teaching the diversity class in counseling. You don't want to come to the class where I'm talking about transphobia because you're fucking transphobic. That's not a trigger warning. Like, I don't need to put a trigger warning on the syllabus that I'm going to talk about trans folks. Because you assist as problematic bitch who don't want to be in class because I, I dare to say that trans people deserve to exist. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, that's different. Like, it's feeling some kind of way and being uncomfortable is different than being triggered. And so, I was just thinking about that. I was like, I know people probably think I'm, like, all kind of elitist and judgmental by, like, um, you know, like, saying stuff like that out loud. And I, I, I don't like trigger warnings, so I just wanted to talk about why before people was like, Oh, she fucked up because right. she don't she don't believe in trigger right. warnings. I'm like, no, that's this is what I'm talking about. So, uh, just yeah. the one last thing I was listening to this thing because you mentioned this um, thing about you like wanting to not have like the police involved mm-hmm. if like if someone's having like a panic attack or something. One of the things that I've been trying to read more about is like between uh, restorative justice and transformative justice. So one mm-hmm. of the things um, that they were saying around, like, trying to figure out as a community how to address harms and coming up with processes and things is that there's a distinction between feeling uncomfortable and then feeling, like, unsafe. Yes. And I, I thought that, yeah. that was a really helpful distinction. Yes, yeah. Me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I know. I'm, I've read about... um like coalitions that have formed out of folks like creating an alternative to when somebody is having a mental health crisis that you can call someone other than like nine one one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I would just love to be a part of like training and sustaining yeah. stuff like that because absolutely. I mean, you know, we all we got, yeah. and I say that in all sense of the words. You know, it's like literally. I don't. I used to work at the um two of the hospitals in Syracuse, and I know that. The paramedics don't get the training. The police damn sure don't get the training um, around, like, how to respond to people who are... someone's in right, crisis. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they, you know, they are tra- trained physical health professionals, not mental. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's it. Now you know what a trigger is. <laughs> Tell your I friend. Appreci- <laughs> wow. I appreciate that. 
no problem. All right, so Nikita. Oh, wait, I should do your jingle even though I haven't had one in 2019. But we'll go ahead and do That's a jingle true. for you. I have not had a jingle in 2019. Yes, you no, you had no. A, you had a revamping of Poison. Nah, that wasn't 2019. It was. Um, well, it don't matter. <laughs> ding, ding, you can't even do that. Ding, ding. And now, our bi-weekly word from our womanist, worker, wordsmith, wizard, Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, last episode... You laid, like, groundwork around telling us what anti-Semitism is and talking about, like, Ilhan and all Uh that stuff. And you you, uh, prefaced it with that that would be a part one. Right. So this is the part two. And we're going to talk about... Zionism. Zionism. All right. So um, I feel like I have a lot to cover. So I'm not going to rehash uh, we'll pick up a little bit of the points around uh anti-semitism but we're not going to get like too deep in the weeds no on that. We, we're not going to get into it you should go back and listen to our last episode yes. episode 61 ilhan and edge ups right it's a very great episode i have the timestamps in the description right and there's a really good resource in there on it's from again from jews for economic and racial justice around anti-semitism so it'd be just it's really good to just like flip through that really quickly quickly it's just like a few pages they had a good section on anti on anti-semitism all right so here's what i want to do for uh the word on zionism so first i want to lay out just kind of a brief definition about what it is and what the broader context was for like the conditions in which it was formed. And then I want to make the case of why, um, like why people are critical of it and why it's not, um, why it's not like a liberation project or, and why is it, um, why being against Zionism is not anti-Semitic. Right. And, I, and I think that you'll, you'll see that through some of these points. Mm-hmm. All right. So what is Zionism first? So it's a political project uh, formed, established in the late 19th century as a response to anti-Semitism. And it was one particular mm-hmm. kind of response. I don't have time to get into it, but there was another response um, that specifically radical Jews had to the to the real, again, problem of anti-Semitism because I don't... Something that we're not trying to say, because I think that this is, on some level, it's a canard that I think people throw out. But, um, it's, you know, but also there are some people on the left who say, like, people on the left aren't, um, don't often, or sometimes don't make the case forcefully enough that anti-Semitism is real. So we're saying unequivocally, mm-hmm. and what we said on the last show is that, like, anti-Semitism is a real, like, it's a real problem, yes. right? Which is, like, you know, the systematic targeting, scapegoating, isolating, and um, just targeting of Jews, mm-hmm. right? That is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And Zionism, like the political, a political project, was one specific kind of response to that very real um, hatred and bigotry and uh, systematic oppression of Jews, right? 
And so the underlying logic of Zionism is that anti-Semitism, it was like, it was just inevitable. It was inescapable. It was always going to be around and there was nothing, there was no way to get around it. And the only way that uh, Jewish folks could um, try to get around it is to have their own separate state. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, that's, that's a one specific way of dealing with or responding to Mm anti-Semitism. And like I mentioned earlier, it's like there some people have tried to cast Zionism as like, um, like any kind of, like any other sort of struggle for like national liberation. Well, later on, we'll see why that's just not the case. Right. And so what was the broader context and the conditions under which like this political project of the creation of, a Jewish state, like what were what was informing that, like this? Why did this? Like why did it happen? Why did it happen? Mm-hmm. Right, and so again, there was a very vicious and fervent anti-Semitism that was occurring in the mm-hmm. late nineteenth century and early twentieth century, especially in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just some like examples. Um, so there was this area and what was, um, a part of the Russian Tsarist empire in the Ukraine and Poland, and it was called the pale of settlement. And this is, um, a space where, uh, Jews were basically cordoned off in this area and they were forced to live in like economic misery and isolation. And then another thing that was happening, um, in this period is that, uh, Jews were subjected to, uh, what were called, uh, pogroms, which were these really vicious and violent, like, race riots and attacks on Jews, right? And then also, um, there was also an economic downturn in the late 1880s and 1890s, and this, um, mm-hmm. and folks use this as an opportunity to scapegoat Blame Jews, Jewish folks, right? Yeah. And it's like, and again, like I said, it's a point that we referenced in, in the last episode. And then, like, a key moment um, in the late 19th century was uh, this thing called the Dreyfus Affair, and so uh, there is a Jewish army um, officer um, in France, and his name was Alfred uh, Dreyfus. And so he was falsely um, framed and convicted for treason. And so this was like a really huge event. And this is it played like a catalyzing role um, for Jews in like the fight against anti-Semitism. So basically, they was like, "Oh, this one Jewish person." So then, get them all. Basically, and so and so in so, that in in the response to that, this is when Jews were like, "Okay, this is really fucked up, and we need to do something about it." Mm-hmm. And so there was an Austrian journalist, and his name uh, was Theodor Herzl, and so he covered this story. And Theodore Herzl is important uh, for our purposes in this discussion of Zionism because he's considered the like the father of political Zionism. And so after that Dreyfus affair, Theodore Herzl came to the conclusion that once again, you know, anti-Semitism is intractable. It's always going to be around and Jews need a, a state of their own in order to be shielded mm-hmm. from these horrors of anti-Semitism. And so the Dreyfus Affair occurs in 1894, and then just like three years later, um, Theodore Herzl founds the World Zionist Organization, and, you know, the purpose of this organization is to embark on this project of creating a Jewish state. Hmm. And so there's three points that I want to make around why um, this isn't like on the same plane as a, it's not on par with other struggles for um, 
liberation and why um, it's a it's a political goal, aim, and project that people, um, those of us on the on the left and people of conscience um, criticize Zionism. So the first point, and I'm going to explain it, but I just want to get the three points out. So from the beginning, like from its inception, um, Zionists often tried to curry favor and relationships with other um, colonists and imperialists, right? And so it's like you... It's hard to say that you're doing, you know, you're fighting for, like, liberation when you're... Aligning with the... Oppressors, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then, so so on that front, you're aligning with them, right? And then on the second point, it's like, it's hard to make this claim when um, Zionism is itself um, a settler colonial project. And I'm going to get into, like, what that means and how that has, like, how that played out. Okay. And then... The third point that I want to make is that oftentimes, you know, one of the main arguments in support of um, Zionism and why they're, you know, in this claim, why there needed to be, the, you know, a creation of a Jewish state is because of the real horrors of um, the Holocaust. What we can see is how um, Zionists, the things that they actually did um, in response to the Holocaust shows that that's like their response to um, the Holocaust shows that that's the way that um, Zionists invoked that to, you know, to continue, you know, to prop up support um, for Israel, like why that just doesn't jive. Yeah. Okay. So the first point, um, appealing to colonizers and imperialists. Just a side note, um, Zionists were actually, they had thought about trying to use um, Land in Uganda, um, in um, Argentina, and in other uh, places, right? There was even talk about trying to, you know, form the Jewish state in the Midwest in the U.S. Um, but eventually, you know, <clears throat> they settled on Palestine. Literally. Right, right. <laughs> and so what we have to know about, um, so the Ottoman Empire, so the Turkish were ruling over uh, Palestine mm-hmm. for about like 500 years. Mm-hmm. Again, Zionism, uh, Herzl creates the World Zionist Organization in 1897. And just a year prior to that, Herzl makes an appeal to the Ottoman um, Empire. And again, the Ottoman Empire is ruling over um, the the region and the land of Palestine. And so this is really fucked up because the Ottoman Empire is engaged in like a ruthless massacres against the Armenians at this time. Right. And if that's not and if to add insult to injury, Herzl uses this basically like the genocide and the massacre of Armenians as a bargaining chip. What? So he says. So what he tells the Ottoman Empire is like, excuse me. So, y- so y'all are ruling over this land. But if y'all give us some access to this land, then Zionists will try to dampen the world, like the criticism that, you know, people like the international community is Metting out against the Ottoman Empire for the genocide against um, the Armenians. That's right. And so the deal wasn't successful, but it's like. But were they? Oh, I was about to say, was it kind of successful? Because a lot of people don't even know about the Armenian genocide. Exactly. And so, um, but it wasn't successful in the sense that they didn't. Um, the Ottoman Empire didn't turn over like the land. Oh, okay. Right. And so it's like if this is a national liberation struggle, or if it's a struggle around liberation, 
obviously you would be siding with the Armenians. Right. The people who were being massacred, the people who were being genocided, right? Um, so um, another example is uh, we mentioned um, just a little bit ago about, you know, the broader context of anti-Semitism and the pogroms that were happening. And so um, Herzl even met with uh, one of the the ministers uh, from the Russian czar, uh, Von Plev, Von Plev. And this guy, some folks say that he was the architect of one of the worst and most horrific programs in Russia. And so, um, again, this this theme of him, right. of uh, Herzl and Zionists, um, reaching out to people who, who are engaged in things that are and, like, who not in things, but in vicious attacks against Jewish against people. Jews, yeah. right? And so it's like, how can we say that it's, um, like, so how can we say that it's a Jewish liberation movement. Right, when, when you, it's like yeah. when you're appealing to the people right. who are who are right. organizing one of the worst massacres and right. pogroms against Jewish folks, right? And it's interesting because, so he does, he makes this appeal. He has this meeting with Von Plev in 1903. And if you know anything about um, what's happening in Russia at this time is that there's like revolutionary upheavals and like fervent and foment <laughs> happening at this time. Of course you know that. And so... <laughs> What uh, what's also important to know is that uh, Jewish folks were like playing like a significant role in like the revolutionary upheavals mm-hmm. in uh, Russia at the time, and so what Herzl says is um, so he tries to make make an appeal to von Plev by saying, if you help me reach this land. Right, help me get this land. I'll help make it so that um the Jewish folks won't be enticed or allure, allured by like the revolutionary upheavals and by socialism, right? And so it's like here you have people going up against you know the czar, a tyrannical mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um administration um enforced in Russian society. And again, here is Herzl choosing <laughs> the the counter revolutionary right, side, right? And then oh my God, it's, this is the I, Personally, I just think that this is the worst. So he also makes an appeal to the British. And so what does the British have to do with any of this? So in the early part of the 20th century, like around the First World War, the British is trying to go toe-to-toe with the Ottoman Empire over control of Palestine. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to, you don't have to know anything about anything to know that the British, I mean, what was the phrase? Like, the sun never sets on the British Empire. I mean, mm-hmm. the British were some colonizing-ass motherfuckers, yeah, yeah. right? We, like, mm-hmm. we, you don't have to know too much about history to know yeah. that they were, again, they, you know, they could, they probably would have colonized the moon <laughs> if they had a way to get up there for real <laughs> and this is the approach yet again of the president of the world zionist organization his name is heim weissman and so i'm going to read a and heim weissman would later on to become the first president of israel and so what and so in this quote that i'm going to read he's basically saying that i we see that you all like we can basically help advance the british um colonialist interests like, we can help you do that if you give us access to this land, right? And so this is what Haim says. He says, we can reasonably say that should Palestine fall within the British sphere of influence and should Britain encourage Jewish settlement there as a British dependency, we could have in 20 to 30 years a million Jews out there, perhaps more. 
uh, they would develop the country. This is a really damning quote right here. Bring back civilization to it and form a very effective guard for the Suez Canal. And again, the Suez Canal is like a waterway um, mm-hmm. in that region. And so I think the, the thing that really like jumped out to me is like, so he's basically saying, look, we can be, uh, so we can be a British dependency. And this quote right here is really damning. Bring back civilization. That's the, that's the whole, isn't that the language that, that we often hear yeah. from colonizers, Make right? America great again. That's like bring, that bring back. What what are, um, I don't know, racists or whatever you want to call them, so infatuated with this like restoration for? Right. Rest of, restoration of like nothing. Right. And, it's, and we know it's just a justification to serve yeah. their own um, interests. And so in this quote, again, from Haim, we can see that the president of the World uh, Zionist Organization, very similar, you know, to Herzl, is like, look, we can make appeals. We can can try to work with and negotiate with colonizers, right? And Herzl, Herzl, um, like a few years before that, said, uh, this is what he said in his uh, his book, State of Jews, that, you know, wherever... the the Jewish state would be formed. This is how he describes it. He says, quote, um, it would form a wall of defense for Europe, an outpost of civilization against barbarism. And again, that's that's the language that we are often, that we're accustomed to hearing from um, colonizers, right? People who are... um, States who are engaged in colonial uh, projects. So they like they even were like, okay, we're gonna use their language to make sure that they see that give, look. Yeah, yeah, give us give mm-hmm. us this shit, right? And so just uh, some history. So after World War One, Palestine does end up becoming a colony of Britain, and in 1917, um, Britain issues what was called the the Balfour Declaration. And so the Balfour Declaration is basically where British it it, it establishes British support for the quote establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. And so I want to move on to the next point about uh, the Zionist project being a settler colonial project, because all this talk about bringing back civilization and like establishing Britain, even uh, going so far as to recognize uh, Palestine being a place to establish um, a home, like a national home for the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. All of this presupposes that people aren't already living exactly, there. Exactly. Right. Like one of the quotes or the phrases that Zionists often use is that in the establishment of um, the Jewish state um, in Palestine is that they say that it was a land without a people for a people without a land. And that phrase is so fucked up because, again... People were already there. People were already living there. What the fuck? Right? And so... Again, not only does Zionists appeal um, to colonizers and, and imperialists, but it itself um, embarks on a settler colonial project. And what are we talking about when we talk about settler colonialism? Basically, um, it means, you know, it's like in the title, it means that... As opposed to genociding a people and, like, living there, you settle. You settle there. You, like, sort of, like, slowly push folks out. Yeah take over their economy, yeah. like that 
Yeah. I mean, it, there is like an uh, there is an element of elimination mm-hmm. um, and genocide that happens with um, settler colonialism, right? So it's like the parallels are like what like what happened to like the Aboriginal folks in Australia. It's like mm-hmm. also what happened to Indigenous folks here. It's like they were displaced, pushed out, and genocided. Mm-hmm. And so that's as opposed to uh, the other form of col- of colonialism, like what we saw in South Africa or within like Africa broadly, where it's like. We don't want to remove people or eliminate or get rid of them. What we want to do is we're going to exploit those people for their labor mm-hmm. and for their resources okay. in, in, in order to seek profit. Mm-hmm. So it's not that. So settler colonialism is like we want direct access to this land and we have to and we're going to get rid of and, you know, by either direct like just wiping people out or like you were saying, pushing people out mm-hmm. to the like to the furthest margins of like society, right? Making it so that they can't participate in society. And so, um uh, one of the things that often gets said is that like people try to make it seem as if like, you know, because people often refer to it as like a conflict, like the Israel Palestine conflict. I mean, side note, that I mean, that, that kind of language is silly because it totally obscures the power relation, mm-hmm. right? But what people try to do, they say, oh, that this is basically, they try to uh, winnow it down to, like, a, a religious war that's been happening in that region for, mm-hmm. like, thousands of years, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's actually not the case. So um, in terms of the people that were already living there, it was a majority, um, it was a Muslim Arab majority, but, you know, they lived alongside Jews and Christians. And in that last episode I mentioned, um, we posted a link to the interview with the Palestinian American organizer and just general badass Linda Sarsour. And so in, in that interview, she talks about, um, at the end of the interview, I think she talks about her grandma and her grandma, you know, who's from Palestine, who lived in Palestine. And she was like, you know, my grandma used to say growing up, like I, like, she's like, I used to live around, um, Jews and Muslims, mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. like, you know, we would be a community together. We would live mm-hmm. in like the mm-hmm. villages together. So it was like, um, there, there actually wasn't conflict prior to the like the creation of this state, right? Not to like totally romanticize things, right? But okay. And so in 1882, just to throw out some numbers, uh, the Palestine population was 24,000 Jews and about half a million Arabs. I mean, in 1917, it's 56,000 Jews and like 644,000 Palestinian Arabs. And so there's two different forms of Zionism. So there's a right-wing version and then there was a left-wing version. And so the right-wing version, like what we were saying, was like pretty explicit Mm -hmm. in its orientation to Arabs. So there's another quote from uh, Vladimir uh, Jabonsky. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. So he was a leader in the World Zionist Organization. And this is what he had to say in 1923 in um, his essay called The Iron Wall, which is really telling. So he writes, we cannot give any compensation for Palestine, neither to the Palestinians nor to other Arabs. There, a voluntary agreement is inconceivable. All colonization must continue in defiance of the will of the native population. Therefore, it can develop only under the shield of force, which compromises the iron wall, which the local population can never break through. This is our Arab policy, end quote. And like, that is very clear. Like, that's, is that not very clear that this is like what their, again, what their orientation to Arab our folks. policy is. It's like, we're basically going to push them yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so, and again, going back to the point, is like, it's, you know, it's about like, you know, 
just totally removing people. And there was a there was a, a militia that represented the right wing of this uh, of Zionism. And in 1948, uh, this militia led a totally horrific massacre mm -hmm. against an entire village, an entire Palestinian village um, of Dir uh, Yassin in 1948. Mm -hmm. And so again, that's the right wing, of course, is the, the more egregious, explicit mm -hmm. thing that we come to accept with the thing that we would expect from like right, a right wing right. A settler colonial project. But the left wing of Zionism was, it was called like labor Zionism, but they also played a role in colonization, right? And um, furthering it and like pushing it forward. So there was a, it was kind of, it was a pseudo trade union. So it was a Zionist pseudo trade union called the Histadra. It was started in 1920 and came to an end in 1948. And the reason why I say it was a pseudo trade union, because it, it totally excluded Arab workers from its ranks. So it was a Jewish only um, trade union. And they um, started this thing called a kibbutz, which was supposed to be like a communal forum of agriculture. And like mm -hmm. some people even refer to it as a socialist experiment. But these two were exclusionary. And so only Jewish folks could settle um, and cultivate and engage in agriculture. And this, and they were settling and doing this so-called socialist utopian communal agriculture on, on Arab land, <laughs> land that wasn't theirs. Right. Oh, <laughs> and so this is what one of the left wing leaders of Zionism had to say. And again, it's pretty explicit. And so he's even so he said that um, he basically had a hard time defending to other like radicals in the trade union movement that they would not accept Arabs in the trade union. Right. That their policy was to defend preaching to housewives, Jewish housewives, that they should not buy at Arab stores, that they defended the fact that they stood guard at orchards to prevent. Arab workers from getting jobs there. What? They poured kerosene on Arab tomatoes. Uh, they attacked oh Jewish housewives if they bought um, in the market if they bought Arab eggs, right? And then, it, so basically he said that it was okay for uh, folks in the history to buy a parcel, of, a parcel of land from Arabs, but it was totally forbidden um, for a, a Jewish person to sell um Land to an Arab yeah. person. And again, this is the left wing. But again, it's the same project right, right. where we see that yeah. Zionism, again, is a, it totally excluded yeah. folks from, Arab folks from, like, being able to participate in the life of Palestine. And I could see why they would think that they're left wing. Because they're like, you know, we ain't raiding nobody's villages. We just not buying your eggs. And you can't, like, you no, can't participate you can't, in our shit. Yeah, right? yeah. I just, I know this is not, well, this may be how it happened, but all I keep imagining is, like, opening your back door, and this this person done started a garden in your backyard, and you like, um, excuse me. Right. <laughs> and they're like, no, I'm doing this for a good reason. And you're like, but it's my it's yard, my yo. Yard. You're like, no, 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 this is like, no, I'm doing socialism. Just please go back into the house. I'm doing something radical and important. And, and you can't, you can't eat these tomatoes. Right. And, and I'm going to pour gas on right. yours. Exactly. But, but you know, it's all in the, it's all for a good cause. Right. And again, the British is playing because remember they um at this time in the early twentieth century, after, you know, post Balfour Declaration, Britain is the one who's like who's in control of who has control of the territory. Mm -hmm. And so um they helped the Zionists 
um, in this colonization of Arab and, and Palestinian lands. So Britain gave Jewish capital 90% of um, concessions for all the building projects. Uh, by 1935, Zionists owned 872 out of a little over 1,000 industrial firms in Palestine. And of course, you know, the Zionists, you know, they're fighting for their, um, for a specifically exclusionary uh, Jewish state. So eventually they say, you know what, we got to get the British out. And so um, after World War II, uh, Britain is forced to evacuate much of their empire in Palestine. And Britain left the UN to decide uh, the fate of what happened to Palestine. And so in November 1947, the UN agreed to a partition plan. And so this partition plan granted what? Zionists control of 55% of the land in Palestine, even though they were only a third of the country. So the Palestinian majority was what? left with um, 45% yeah. of their own country. Country. And so again, so it's like, how can we say that this is a liberation struggle when it's yeah. like it's engaged in very mm -hmm. clear, stark mm -hmm. um, colonization and yeah. exclusion, right? And fuck the UN for that. Right, exactly. And so the last point um, that I want to make is like one of the things that we often hear um, is that and so that there can never be a Holocaust, this is why there need to be mm -hmm. like the creation of a Jewish state, right? Israel. But it's it's totally astounding and disturbing to see how Zionists actually responded in the midst of the terror of the Holocaust. So it, the Israel is created, like, again, going back to the, um, the UN plan in um, 1947, Israel becomes a state in 1948. So prior to it becoming a state, well, there's this um, organization called the Jewish Agency, and that's like the Jewish settlements that are in Palestine. So it's mm -hmm. like a quasi-state, right? And so this is in the time, again, of the, like, where the Holocaust is mm -hmm. starting to begin and we're in the, at its height. And so the Jewish agency was very clear about what its main priority and task was during this period. And so they were very committed to building the state of Israel, right? And so what they said is that they didn't want to be burdened with the sick and the impoverished uh, Jewish refugees who were coming out of Holocaust Germany. What? They said that they specifically wanted young, healthy, and able-bodied Jews who could help build the country. And it's like, again, people say, you know, designers line is always look like we have to have this state. But it's like in the in in the midst at the height of the Holocaust, right. this is what they were turning away with. people. And yeah. that's what I was about to say. And in some cases, when they consider folks too burdensome, they actually sent them back to Germany. To, to the Holocaust. To the Holocaust. And then uh, one of the articles um, I read, it said that during uh, during the Holocaust, during the war, you know, World War II, the Jewish agency spent more money to get more land in Palestine than to actually help mount rescue efforts. Oh, wow. Wow. And then I remember there's one organization, it was called like the Jewish Immigration Association in Palestine. So that was the group, uh, if I understand it correctly, that was help, that was supposed to be helping to bring in refugees from Germany and the Holocaust. And one, uh, one person uh, who was a part of that organization was made this comment about how the stock that was coming, like this from the Holocaust coming from Germany were basically piss poor. It wasn't good enough stock of Excuse people. Me? And so shout out to Bay. Um, 
Um, she's done a lot of really good work, you know, again, making these connections mm-hmm. between like how this is a totally like Zionism is also it's not just a racist and exclusionary and co- uh, settler colonialist project, but it's also a very much an ableist project. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So it's like um, you, you like if you're sick, we don't want you. And it's yeah. like people are sick because they've been shoved into right, concentration. Camps. Right. Right. And and so that's not just their outlook into in terms of the refugees that were um like people that they were like barring or being very selective on who they wanted to bring. But when people were actually um, like in, like when European Jews were coming um, to Palestine, there was a labor party. Again, this is the left wing of the Zionism. Uh, The labor party newspaper published an article saying that the Holocaust was quote, punishment from heaven for European Jews deciding to stay in Europe and, and for not choosing Palestine. And so, again, you can't say that, look, we need to have this Jewish state if this is how that the precursor to the Jewish state actually responded to that crisis. And I know we're out of time, so I didn't really have time to get to it. But one of the the things that I was alluding to earlier is that Zionism did not have to be the only response to Mm anti-Semitism. And like I said, Mm -hmm. I don't really have time to get into it, but it's actually anti-Semitic to say the all Jews support the project of Zionism. Yeah. And so not only is that the case cont- in the co- in the contemporary scene, but even historically, right? In the height mm-hmm. of, again, very real anti-Semitism, radical socialist Jews were like, they were very critical of Zionists because they said that it's like an escapist strategy. They're like, no, we don't need to create, you know, a, an, a Jewish-only exclusive yeah. state. They were, so there was this term that I learned from Bay. It was called, it was a Yiddish term called doikai, and it meant... Hearness, H-E-R-E-N-E-S-S. And basically mm-hmm. it means it's like, wherever Jews are, this is where we need to wage the fight against mm-hmm. anti-Semitism. Which is everywhere. Right. And right. so it's also important to not left, uh, like, Western powers off the hook because... Like in places like you know the U.S. and in um, Europe, they, during the like the Holocaust and in other periods, they had um, restrictions on Jewish immigration. And so yeah. one of the things mm-hmm. you know that Zionists could have called for, but because it wasn't actually like you know a totally like liberation project, they could have like so what radical um, Jews like who were communists were calling for was like lift these bans mm-hmm. on immigration, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like people of conscience throughout the whole international community should be letting mm-hmm. uh, Jews in, right? And so again, that was there was a there was and has been an alternative way to deal with like the very real question of um, anti-Semitism, and I think I've I've tried to, and I hope it's made clear that like Zionism it doesn't do that because again it's you know had this long history of being in bed with colonizers and imperialists. It is mm-hmm. itself it's a settler colonial project, and just, I mean the way that Zionists turned their backs on Jews, you know, during the height, you know, the the cruel and inhumane Holocaust is like it shows that this has actually not been a li- like an actual liberation, yeah, you know, um, project, and why it's not fair to say that this is like synonymous or this is the Zionist project is what all Jews, um, you know, like in like in society like actually mm-hmm. want mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. yeah i'm just sitting here the first thing i was thinking was like how did you learn all of this but i'm gonna you... post some links <laughs> you looked it up in the show notes um and you're an organizer right so you trace that history um and I, the other thing i was thinking is just how like clear and like laid out i was like nikita you need to start making workbooks out of the word 
But I know that's like extra work on you. I'm not going <laughs> to put that on you. But just like, okay, like here's it. Boom, boom, boom. This is why, this is how Zionism came to be. This is why it wasn't the only option to confront anti-Semitism in the world. And like why we we don't fuck with Zionism. Like, right. This is why. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make it clear that you can't, you can't have an exclusionary racist state. Right, <laughs> like it's just like it's like it's like I very mean, much like Jim that. Crow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yes, <laughs> the, the, I guess the thing that I want to pose to listeners is like I just want to I want to get y'all's feedback on like mm-hmm. if this is clear because I I really do try to put a lot of uh, thought and she time does, into the word, but I also need and want feedback from you because mm-hmm. it's like the reason why we broke it up into two parts is like this is a lot There's of information, lot, yeah. so I just want to know like is it a lot of information? Are like am I explaining things clearly? And also, are there other things that you like you want to like, you know, you want to learn more about and like, you know, I can like try to read and get some uh, more insight about and just, yeah. So like, does this, is this segment helpful? Is it clear? Is it making sense? And what are some other things that you like, you would love us to discuss yes. in this segment? Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nikita. Yeah. All right, Nikita. Um, so we're going to move it on along into our topic segment. Well, you know, I just feel like all the shit be popping off on weeks that we don't record. And uh, so, you know, I think <laughs> I think the the young MA debacle where she was, you know, being harassed and attacked by Kodak Black. Yeah, I think that was thoroughly, thoroughly covered already. Yeah. Um. All, so all I got to say is what Z said on <laughs> Marsha's plate. It's like, yeah, go to the last episode. Well, by the time this post will be the second to last episode of Marsha's uh, plate. plate, and like, yeah. yeah, everything Z said. Yeah. Ditto. <laughs> that part. Um, yeah, and there's also been like other podcasts too that have talked about like why that's fucked up. So I'm like, hmm, they they said everything yeah. I wanted to yeah. say. So so um can we do something fun, Nikita? Yeah. Okay. You have something in mind. Can honey? we play Okay Smash Mary or Exile? Yeah. Okay. What is that? Okay. <laughs> So, um, y'all probably know the game, like, fuck, marry, kill. Yeah. So, we, we, you know, that doesn't align with our politics over here. So, (laughs) you know, so smash, marry, exile. This is a little more in, you know, in in our vein. But we, one night, it was after my my couch um, debacle. debacle. Uh, we played, and it was just so funny. And I just thought that it would be kind of fun to just do a fun topic of Smash Mary Exile. Okay. Sneak. <laughs> okay, you ready? I'm going to go first, and you you got to answer, okay? Okay. Smash Mary Exile. Lena Wave. Okay. Lizzo. Uh-huh. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. All right. So now this this is this is uh this is a situation that I've put Nikita in before. So she needs she should have her answer. <laughs> My answer has changed. Oh oh. So <laughs> well, come on, growth. I think I would. I think I would marry AOC. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Because. You know, I think she's got, like, a good set of politics, but I mm-hmm. feel like I would need a longer amount of time to push her a little <laughs> bit further to the left. So you would marry her for the good of the people. Right. 
it's for, I'm doing this for you all. I, so, somebody's got to do that. And then I would smash or have a consensual erotic experience with Lena Waithe. Really? Yes. And then you did switch. I did switch. So you gonna exile Lizzo? And let me explain why. Because I thought about this. Because I've like I've said at the beginning of the show, I've been a, I'm just like so like enamored with Lizzo that I just I don't feel like I could be in the same room with her. <laughs> I feel like if I got in the same room with Lizzo, I feel like the earth would shift off its axis. <laughs> I feel like all the water would soak up out of the oceans. I feel like, you know, I feel like a, a, a circle of vultures would swarm over my head. So we not going to the show in May? I thought we was getting tickets. I, I, I just, I, I tweeted this. I feel like I would disintegrate into 1,714,453 different pieces. And I feel like, and I certainly not smash. I feel like Lizzo would take her sock off, and I would, I would be done. <laughs> right. It would. I, I feel like I would. Uh, I feel like I would reach climax in like half an hour second. <laughs> she would. She would be like, "You ready? Oh, oh, oh right. I'm, I'm done." I, I'd be like, "That was fun. Thank you for this. This has been fun. This half a nanosecond of pure ecstasy." <laughs> I just, I just have to get Lizzo out of here. Okay, she's just got to go get away. out the paint. You know, I sh- I'll watch her play that flute and just twerk away. <laughs> that's that's oh, all God. I need. Wow. All right. Okay. <laughs> you want to pick a different one for me? Pick. Okay. Or do I have to answer that? I was gonna say, no. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a different one. Okay. All right. All right. Sid. Britney Griner, (laughs) Megan the (laughs) Stallion. I'm in pain. This physically hurts. Oh God! I gotta go to work later. You can't do this. I'm doing it. Oh my God. Okay. Consensual sexual experience. (laughs) Marry or exile? Yeah. Um, okay, I would exile Brittany. Really? Yes, because, um, I, do something over there? Because I have to pick one, that's why. No, I would exile Brittany because I would probably have to retwist her locks all the time, and it's like, uh, I don't want to do that. And, and she's also very happy right now with Sherelle, so exile. Oh, okay. Um, both of them. <laughs> I would... Go ahead and say it. I would... I would I would smash Sid yeah. and marry Megan. Yeah. I agree with that, but say yeah. why. Um, well, because Sid is is in my pattern and I don't need to go back down yeah. paths that I've already tried to close. All right. Which is why I had to unfollow her. <laughs> Cause I just can't. I can't. It's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. Um, so yeah. So I I would just, you know. 
It would be the one and done. Just okay. just that once. But Megan, first of all, we're the same height. I've I've never dated a fellow tall girl. <laughs> so tall? Really? Yeah, she's five ten. Okay. Yes. Um, and also, I would never. I've heard her talking interviews. She put a pussy in my face at South by Southwest. You know, I just can't have that happen once. I would have to marry her. Okay. You know, like the conversations we would have about rap and that's like, that was what I was thinking. Oh my for you. god! Yeah. Oh my god! You would, maybe you would finally get that DJ career off the ground. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> Andrew from Houston, you know she could cook because you know I can't. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many uh, veggie burgers could you feed her? And pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. That was so mean. It wasn't mean. That was solid. That was good. All right. All right. One more round. Okay. Um, Tracy Ellis Ross. Okay. <laughs> Going for the big gun. <laughs> Smash Mary Exile. Jillian Harvey from Lion Babe. Mm, okay. I see. I see what we're doing here. Tracy Ellis Ross. Yeah. Or Denai Guerrero. Guerrero? Denai from uh, Wakanda. <laughs> you took mine! <laughs> you can put her in mine too. Oh boy. Okay. Tracy, Jillian, deny. This is too much. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to be a total up. Oh boy. Wow. I don't know. These are tough. <laughs> huh. Why would you? This is not fair. Well, so you I'm did a, it to me. I'm first. a bad person because I'm thinking, because I was about to say, um, you know, Jillian Hervey's mama is Vanessa Williams. Yes. I was like, so I got to keep her around. But then I was oh. like, <laughs> Tracy Ellis Ross? Diana Ross! Diana Ross! Diana Ross! I'm going to go ahead and marry Tracy. <laughs> but, I mean, Tracy Ellis Ross is like, she's kind of like that, like that Lizzo for mm-hmm. me. I'm just like, I just, I feel like I should just stay clear. <laughs> but she's also goofy as shit. Mm-hmm. I feel like we would have like... Fun. It would yeah. be fun, like a fun life married to Tracy. Yeah. But then, I don't know, I feel like I would always... It probably would end in divorce because I'd be like, you know, are we ever really going to get that girlfriend's movie? Why wasn't there? <laughs> why wasn't there a proper, you know, series finale? And she why like, isn't it on Netflix? Right. It was, she would just be like, let it go, bitch. Okay, I'm on a whole new program. You know, whatever. So, um, so it's sounding like you're exiling deny. Damn, it's fucked up, Nikita. Yeah. And I, but you know what? I feel like my politics won't let me do that. We'll just we'll ship Jillian's light skinned ass off. So, so what's your final decision? I will, I will get like the loudest speaker system and send Jillian. <laughs> I'll send her off as Lion Babe roars through her speaker system. That's that seems even more fucked up. But okay, it's like adios to your music, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, I feel like actually, I feel like um, Denai would act. I feel I'm just thinking about because she was a Koye, right? Yeah, she would like actually like physically smash me. <laughs> it w- it wouldn't even be like sex. She would like whoop my ass probably. I mean, maybe I would be into that kind of she, thing. I don't she's know. Also, Michonne on The Walking Dead. Oh yeah, I would. <laughs> I, would I would be. 
fuck you up. So at first I was like, oh my God, if I ever saw Lizzo in person, I would disintegrate. But like, Denai would actually like pound me into uh, dust. So I guess I, I guess I would be like literally smashed. And I guess there's room for that. We didn't, we didn't delineate what that, what smash Whatever your did. kink is, friend. All right. So you married Tracy? Yeah. Or plot twist. Polyamory. <laughs> and that way I could get, I could be in the life. I could have Vanessa Williams and Diana Ross in my life. Okay. All right. So you stole mine, so I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to use it, because I'm uh, but I'm going to do characters. So oh, so who they play? Okoye. Okay. And then Tessa Thompson's weird character, and sorry to bother you. Okay. And Her name was Detroit. Detroit, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Angela Bassett in Wakanda. I mean, Black oh, Panther. Mama. But but also Angela Bassett is just Queen Mother. Yeah. Nah, I can't. I can't smash or marry but Queen Mother. So... Oh. As regal and as fine. I, now, if you would have said, if you would have said, um, Angela Bassett in American Horror Story, the witch season. Let's do that then. Ooh, Ooh let's do that then. Ah! Let's do that. No, that's unfair. No, we're doing it. Oh my gosh, that woman is sixty years old, and she can still get it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um. um so, Okoye, Detroit, mm-hmm. and I think, I'm pretty sure her name was uh, Marie Laveau. I think she played Marie Laveau yeah. that season, um, Angela Bassett. Oh, gosh. Um, oh. Okay, so I am, I, I think I'm a... Okoye is a workaholic, and I don't want a partner who's a workaholic. Okay. So, although I love Okoye, I think um, I would have to exile her because, yeah, she's just too much of a workaholic for for the the relationship to ever work. Would it be inappropriate to ask her to whoop all your enemies' asses before she left? (laughs) Like, like, hey, girl, uh, I know I'm about to ship you off, but before you leave, uh, you whoop your <laughs> yeah. I might actually want to take, you know, like, training classes with her or, like, have her teach me some techniques and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I would exile Okoye. And she got, she got Wakanda and Wakabi. She fine. Um, I would smash Marie Laveau. So, uh, Angela Bass's uh, witch season character. Um, I didn't see that coming. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm just... Uh, I think I would marry Detroit. I think... That's so up your alley. I think me and Detroit would be able to wear each other's earrings. Yeah. And, like... <laughs> we would just be a cute couple. And I'm all, I'm already one of those bitches who, like... Goes to the art show opening. You ready? Yeah, you and, you would be there anyway. I, yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm. I would date a Detroit s character. It would, now. it would just that would be just be Tuesday for you. It, would, <laughs> it wouldn't even be no different than your regular life. Exactly. So, oh well, then maybe I shouldn't marry Detroit. Maybe I should try something new. 
You know, I love New Orleans. I could live is, there. But how old? I mean, don't 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 people from other realms live for an eternity? That's that's a commitment. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, Angela Bassett is this this fine and still going at sixty? She probably yeah. gonna live to be one hundred and twenty. Yeah, a thousand and seven. <laughs> Anybody? You know. I, yeah, you're right. Uh-uh. And the last thing, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that would be that would be like a whole new lesbian stereotype. <laughs> Not just you hollering, but it's like, yeah, I've been with her for about a millennia. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's ridiculous. I died. She brought me back. Right. <laughs> so, we did some spells and shit together. Yeah, you know. you know, I would just like to live a mere mortal experience with Detroit. All right. Um. Yeah, and you know she's principled. And that's I right. That's that right. Shit. That's right. You know, if you, for if for whatever reason somebody went on strike, you know she wouldn't be a scab. Mm-hmm. And what more do you and need? She got pretty panties. I don't know what. Uh, oh God! I was just hoping. Like. <laughs> I was hoping we could get to that because I just I'm just that image of that scene is ingrained. Whew. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> okay. So let's end this here because yeah, <laughs> this could. I feel like this could go really long and really raunchy. Yeah. So um, yeah. If y'all would like to play. <laughs> Smash, marry, exile, or tell us like if your responses would be different than ours to yeah. our um configurations. Throw it in the hashtag queerwoc. All right, and last but not least is our curved, 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 <laughs> curved chronicles segment, which is the segment where we talk about the dating woes and wins of our love lives. Any updates, Nikita? Do I have any updates? I don't. You know, it really must be nice to have your co-host do all the carrying of this segment because you're just so booed up with a fellow anti-Zionist. I curve people. Yeah. (laughs) Who you curving? You know, the the skeevy niggas at Lowe's. Nikita, what? that's exactly the type of man who would hit on you. Yeah, this, that's, that's, <laughs> hence my point, money. I didn't say that's who I wanted to be curving, but alas, that's where the chips have fallen. In the wood owl? Yeah. Know, or the table saws? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how that's going. They really see this grandpa hat. And these, like, what are these called? The side shields. Side shields and think that you're interested in them? That For some reason, they do. And you know what it also is. It's because, yes, you have you have a very masculine, like, presentation, but your demeanor is very, excuse me, um, yeah. where can I find a circle saw? And they're like, oh, she's just dressed like that because she's doing some home improvement. Yeah. <laughs> what is that sound? <laughs> Is that the sound that penis makes? <laughs> I, I think. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> You're just doing a very interesting little... Um, okay. Let's start um, there. Um, Do you have Curved Chronicles? Um, Sort of. What sort of? Uh, You know, I've, I feel like I've just... I'm okay with, like, not having a partner right now. Okay. I don't need a girlfriend right now. I'm I'm very solidly single. What brought you to that realization? Um, 
because it feels like a chore to like so I guess an update from last episode I did reach out to cute glasses and I immediately was like I'm over this like this is ah, um and I think it's because it didn't feel like exciting like ooh I'm hitting somebody up. It, it literally felt like oh let me do this oh I see my friends right, right, my friends right. gave me pointers so let me and I was like, hmm, could this, I, that's never happened to me before. So in like my dating experience, so I was like, hmm, could this be that I'm, I don't, I'm not interested in like finding a relationship right now? Yeah. Yeah. And also all things feel like pretty impossible long distance to me. Like sure. those, those type of situations don't feel good. Right, right, So right. I'm like, hmm. It'll be cute to have somebody to text, but I still will be cuddling with Riri and my cell phone at night. So, like, what's the point? Okay. Um. Yeah. But I went to see us this weekend. With who? Um. People. Interesting. You working. But who'd you go with? I didn't go with nobody. Why are you saying it like that? That's I went true. with... I went with... Oh, okay. Wow, I had a hell of a weekend. So, yeah, and I was in the bathroom, you know, washing my hands. Oh. And there was, like, an older dyke in there. And she had this, <laughs> this, she actually had the lean away. It was, like, a fade, a, like, a brush cut. I knew exactly what you dyed, were talking about. Yeah. Dyed blonde. And she was like, I like your locks. I was like, oh, thank you. And, um... She was like, yeah, you know, I just shaved mine off myself, you know. I was I was having to beat them off, beat them off too much with the locks or something like that. And I was like, oh, really? You know, and she was older. And I just felt like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't know. It's like, is, is this what it feels like to be a sugar baby? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Blue Coast Guardian. <laughs> For real. Um, but it, it also felt cute because... I was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm being flirted with. Flirted with, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is fun. You know, it's always fun when people recognize that you're cute. Yeah. So. Absolutely. In a respectful way, you know, because she did it in a really cute way. Yeah. So. Well, shout out to uh, Cute Black Dykes in the Mall. Oh, this, this was at Movie Tavern. So, you know, that's with the aunties. The aunties is at Movie Tavern. Damn. Yeah. They well, ain't that destiny. Well, all right. Yeah, so, you know, that was cute. But, yeah, I just, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's, I don't know what it is. And But, honestly, I don't want to take time to figure it out. But I, I think I'm cool with not talking to nobody right now. And I think that if I am talking to somebody, they're going to have to initiate it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. You've been saying that for a minute, though. Yeah, I mean, I just feel that way. Um, you know, not to not to push my past shit onto other people, but I think I go out of my way to let people know that I'm interested. Yeah, and so yeah, I'm. I am no longer. I am divesting from like chasing up after folks who like don't see how amazing and incredible and fine and all the shits that I am. Right, so, right, 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 right. You know, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> or don't. Oh, don't fuck them. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Exile them. 
<laughs> send them away uh, while playing <laughs> Lion Babe music? <laughs> uh, nope, that's that's exclusive for Lion Babe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I don't have any, you know, like major dating developments. I still am living in a dating desert, yeah, as one is, of the listeners gave. You know, there is so, that. You know, there's that. So this is what it's going to be until, you know... Y'all know, every time I take weekend trips and stuff, I always come back with a tale. But for right now, I'm just writing this dissertation and trying to teach these students who don't give a fuck about what I'm talking about and giving y'all this incredible content by week. <laughs> so, yeah. If y'all have Curved Chronicles, Dating Woes and Wins, uh, Love Life Mishaps, or uh, love life successes, send them to us at queerwalkpod at gmail.com. And let us know if you want to be anonymous or not. Or we give you a foolish ass old black lady name. (laughs) So your message will be from, instead of whatever your name is, like if it's Tony, then, you know, when we read it, you'll be Beulah. <laughs> we can't do Beulah again. I feel yeah, like yes we can. <laughs> Beulah is our default name. Exactly. Uh-huh. Anyway, y'all. Well, this has been Money the Tired TA. And I am Nikita. Well, I have been Nikita, the swimmer swimming in Lizzo's bathwater. Glub glub glub. Stop it. <laughs> and this has been quit. Stop it. Queer Walk the podcast. <laughs>